Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again, folks, to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am always I'm Nathan. And of course, I'm Bob. And today we are going to be reviewing... Milwaukee by Night, Barren Streets, Barren Hearts by Dustin Browder, White Wolf, second real official city source book, and um, I think the last official first edition city book, probably. Yeah, Anyways. it is. I'm pretty certain it is. I think we I think we go into second edition very soon, either next week or the week after, I think is when we unveil second edition. Um, and this, uh, again centralized around a midwestern city not yep. too far from chicago uh not close enough not not as close as gary so far enough away so that it has its own centralized power base so i got a theory why they did this the source books weren't as random as people think they are i think they chose definitely chicago because the fan base mm -hmm. we said goth boomed here yeah it's it, true it, it did, did. Yeah. it did industrial scene was big here and then if you think about it look back historically and for a lot of what white wolf is has come out with this whole area is rich with easy world of darkness stories of uh, the Europeans coming over yeah. to the new to the new world. And it's rich with, rich in depth already historically. So how hard it would have been to come up with immortal conflicts and immortal stories in that area. Right. And I also figured Milwaukee was chosen because it's close to Chicago. And if you think historically, they built a power base in Chicago. That's done. Right. There'd have to be, because you're not going to have another far off city. No. Was the next one established. It would be for these influx of vampires to pick near this source of food. Oh, of course. That was, you know, because Chicago boomed big time when yeah, it well, did. Uh, the Great Lakes play a big part in this because, as we know, during the formation of the country, uh, the there was no railroads. There right. was no paved roads. There was waterways. And that's why Chicago really became such a big city. And there's a different sort of feel from a city like New York, which sort of is big enough that it allows you to escape for within it. You know, it lets you get back in the ocean and go back overseas. Right. But Chicago, Milwaukee, Indiana, these are isolated. Even though you have access to these waterways, once you're here, you're pretty much here. You're not going anywhere. Right. There's just forest and danger all around you but forest you said, plains right rich in resources and now you think modern time <clears throat> excuse me some someone knew this clearly saw this coming and they because you know because we landed what up in new england area and spread downward and and i mean that as in colonial colonists colonials right. whatever and we're now spreading western that's where we want to go right but you already nailed it on the head you know, St. Lawrence Seaway is right up there near Canada. Right. Someone figured out, follow that down and go somewhere. Right. You have the Mississippi River, which essentially divides the country in half. And, and then you, you have you have these. Milwaukee has the benefit, like Chicago does, of being along Lake Michigan. It's close enough to Lake Michigan that you can trade. You can trade to yep. other areas. But once you're here, again, there's not too many places to go. Milwaukee, to me, has always been described like the city Chicago would have been. Meaning that if... If Chicago didn't grow as big as it did, yeah. Milwaukee would have been the ideal choice of how it would have been. Like, let's say the roles were reversed. That's ideally what was conceptualized. But you can't predict what city's going to be better than the other. You right. just kind of go with them whenever booms, booms. Yeah. Chicago landed, Milwaukee's up there. But not quite and, Chicago. And during this time when this book was released, you know, there was 
you know, about a million and a half people metropolitan. So, I mean, it's still a very well-populated area and <laughs> still still a, 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 a decent amount of people. Bear with us. What me and Nate are doing is we're saving a lot of explanation down the road. We have this in mind, and this concept is two cities now, right? Chicago by night, Milwaukee by night. And to really get why they made these two books, it was so you, as in the storyteller, to your players or vice, or even just players researching, you get why you would be a vampire in these areas versus anywhere else in the States. Right. And later on down the road, there's going to be a ton more city books, uh, but right. they're very select. You know, it's not like every city has its its own book. You know, it's uh, basically the important metropolitan areas. We have... New York, D.C., Louisiana. Those are the only three books we got. Um, no, we have L.A. by night. We have Berlin by night. I forgot L.A. Well, no, no, no. I meant that we have in terms of U.S. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, L.A. Um, then we did we did Colorado. We did right. uh, Boulder or Denver, whichever one it was. But that's, that's basically not even... Salem. What was that one? That was... That's Massachusetts, but I don't know that they have a book. It was well, it's tied into DC, then the suburbs, and yeah, so they have right. that. It was the story that they had. Yeah. It's not a by night. You're and, right. And Dark Colony, which covers the entire upper um the New England, the entire New England area. Then yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Dark Colony. That's uh that's coming. That's a few few books down the road. Point being we're on Milwaukee right, now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, basically, to give you a theme for this book, and in reading through it, you'll you'll get this right away. They state plainly the theme of this book is insanity. It nothing here makes any sense. It is a city that is surrounded on all sides by an ever encroaching werewolf populace. That it basically shows you once you get in here, you're not going anywhere. You can come in all you want. Even that's dangerous, but you're not leaving anywhere. And it's insanity because you have elders who are at each other's throats while the city essentially burns down around them. And they should stop fighting each other. And they should do something to fix it, but they don't. And you have people that are battle-frenzied, that are beaten down, and you have overpopulated area, but yet it continues. This, I gotta preface this, comes off of the assumption that You've either played a game in Chicago by night so you get a backdrop to it, or what I would just easier state, keep in your mind, when Chicago was populated, there was a boom. Vampires fought to have control in that area in some capacity. What occurred is you had a lot of runoff. For those people who didn't make it there, they went to Milwaukee. They actually went to the next biggest city they could sink their fangs in. Problem is, Milwaukee had its vampires already. They already had something starting up there, and this, this added to this tumult. You had Anarchs try to take the city over. You had the Lupines waging war. And, and imagine that, that there were vampires. Common misconception, and I love this book for this alone. Oh, man, a vampire versus werewolves? No contest. And they're always referring to the werewolves. And I'm right. sitting there thinking to myself, well, why would you think that? And they're like, oh, well, you know, werewolf stats to vampire stats. It's like, But you're not thinking of the full. You're not really looking at the big picture. It's not even a small picture. I mean, a vampire's ability to control your emotions or control your will, werewolves aren't immune. It's just harder to do. Right. But more often than not, it works. Right. Clearly, because their vampires live through these areas. Right. More importantly, they know about silver. <laughs> they know about silver in you. And how hard is it to get silver? It truly isn't. And the fact is that it's everywhere. Well, werewolves need to kind of keep their head down too. Right. Or better said, when there is open conflict and that big bad pack comes to show up, 
yeah, there's not going to be any words. If it's one pack versus one vampire, because the pack is three to five, yeah, you're dead as a vampire if you can't, if you can't get out of there. Right. However, this book points out, then you just fight in packs. As a, as a vampire, as a pack of vampires, a pack of world, is going to be an interesting outcome. Right. And, and they, they go a little bit further in telling of the tale to basically emphasize that the werewolves are fighting each other, too. Right. And, you know, this is uh, this is really, I think, before any of the werewolf books have come out. I think we're about to have one come out just shortly after this book is released. But Do you know that truly? Because I thought I thought by now they had the werewolf line going. I, I will double check um, because I was just looking at it. It's possible they didn't because I could it's, see them winning either, for the success. It's either right before or right after. Because I know it's their second line that they went with. Yeah. It, oh, yeah, definitely. That's that's completely true. Ninety ninety. Uh, pardon me. 1992 releases we get the um the first werewolf book which i believe so these are all these are all from 92 we get um so they may, they may have released no the werewolf apocalypse does come out in 92 chronologically i'm not sure but rage across new york rite of passage and werewolf the apocalypse rule book come out this year so they've either just released it or they're a about to release it right so it's it's sometime and the thing is with these releases like it's very difficult to actually track down like specific dates so but close enough in my yeah. opinion for yeah. research purposes but the aspect is is that milwaukee back to it um they're clearly trying to hammer home where else coming yeah their lines coming so kind of putting it in your head if yeah. you've been following along they're they're a major major antagonist for the vampires and here is the first time we really see how much of an antagonist they are that basically they keep this city as just like it's like a prison almost. You know, there are just battle weary uh, vampires that have been trying to keep the city safe, led by Mark Decker, who we'll talk about a little bit later, and his group of vampires. The Anubi. And, yeah. And then you have uh, a couple of elders that really could be doing more, and they're definitely not. Right. They can't. Right. Well, don't. And then. Last but not least, they're our favorite boogeyman, the Sabbat, are more defined in this book, too, because yeah. they're here, too. Yeah. Uh, one thing that this book does that uh, I think most of them do, and I really like that they do this, they give you some fiction and some movies that you can watch to get yep. a feel for this. So the movies, we'll just go right to the movies because I think this is telling enough. The movies that they suggest to sort of get a feel for the mood of this is Apocalypse Now, Midnight Cowboy, Bad Influence, and Flatliners. So <laughs> there's I've definitely seen two of them. There's definitely nothing good going on here. That's you know that needs to be established right away. They also suggest Heart of Darkness if you watch Apocalypse Now. You're basically you're you're good on that. So they talk about the relations uh with Chicago and they're actually fairly friendly relations. They're close enough so that the cities can interact but far enough away that they're not a challenge to each other's spheres of influence. And what you're not going to get cuz this is between the lines between the books. I've read both these books fiercely. Chicago by night more than any, but the underlying tone here is the reason why Chicago supports Milwaukee and they're in good relations. Milwaukee handles the werewolves. Yeah. It keeps them out of their neck of the woods. Right. Exactly. And if you look at a map, this Milwaukee is close enough that it could almost be considered a Chicago suburb. Right. You know, it's just up north from Chicago and it's about an hour and a half drive, two hour drive, but again, close enough that we can maintain courteous and kind relations, but far enough away that you're not encroaching on anything I have. You're keeping the werewolves at bay. Right. Cool. We're good to go. So the first chapter of this book, they talk about the history of Milwaukee and uh, it's an interesting history. Uh, we'll, we'll sort of glaze over it a little bit, 
um, because it will lead up to the overall theme of what's going on in this city. Uh, as, a point, as a point of note, just FYI, mm-hmm. I'm a gigantic fan of the vampires in these books. The city's always the back flavor for yeah. me. So basically, this, uh, this city came about through the creation of two different towns. And um, it is the erection of these towns came around two elders, two elder Ventru that basically hate each other. Um, one's name is Harothulf. I think I'm pronouncing that properly. Hopefully I am. Right. He's the, was it the German Vikings warlord? He, he's a Dane. Yeah. A Dane, but I'm sorry. Same, same basic principle. And his sire, uh, Gracchus, who is an ancient Roman Ventru of uh, soft and features. And it's Gracchus Nostinus. <laughs> yeah, however, however that's pronounced. But basically, uh, Harothof fled uh, his sire, came here, and basically was hiding out from him. They had a falling out. And, right. uh, you can read all this. There's a, the whole story behind it. But basically, came here, decided to set up his power base, and sort of hide out from his sire. And it's going to throw you off, because when you look at Harothof's stats compared to his sire... You would think that it would just the other way around, because Rothov could crush his sire, in a standard physical roll the dice stand up fight. That's that. But the difference is, is that Rothov was young and embraced as a Dane by this Roman who knew what was going on, and the Roman raised him right. He raised him fearing him, not knowing what he is or what he was. And that story, how it pans out, is that they're highlighting. If you think back to the storyteller's handbook, we told you you could do it generational wise, right? Milwaukee's chalk filled with sired chilled relationships gone bad. It's just showing you what it is. If Chicago is a book that tells you about the intrigue and the power that you can have, how a prince can have a chilled dynasty and how they respect and prop up their sire, because that's why they were embraced the jockey position for Loden in that regard. Milwaukee's a city where it's childer were had by vampires from very, we'll say emotional or greedy reasons. And those children get resentful. Yeah, and and that's exactly where Harthof is when he learns they have a falling out. They're still having a falling out. That's where a lot of contention's coming from. Yeah, Harthof uh, uh, makes makes his his way for uh, you know a good hundred and fifty to two hundred years in this area in the Milwaukee area. You know, being the only vampire sort of living off <laughs> the land, as it were, and um, just sort of settling in. And then uh, in the eighteen hundreds, uh, Gracchus flees Europe, uh, having no more of his allies in shame, whatever happened to him there, you know, um, but ends up in the same area. Right. And again, you know, we talked about that, like, uh, travel, the fact that like, you're going to end up in this area and chances are you're going to run into some people you don't necessarily like. And they find out each other is a present the, and their war begins. And the prince at this time, who does come up, even in the 1800s, they had a guy who was, who was in, in right, already there. Because when you're referring to when Hrothov got here, it's very true, there was like nobody. Right. But he lets a whole gang of people come, yeah, yeah, yeah. come through yeah, and absolutely. just yeah, be because, vampires. Because it grows beyond his ability to control individually. Right, because initially he stomped around with the big stick and said, hey, yeah. P's but, and Q's, and, this and are blood. As, as, the, as civilization grows up around this area, it becomes more valuable. Fur trading and, you know, again, the waterways. And I'll say this because his name escapes me unless you remember it, Nate. There was a guy like named Martin, I almost want to say, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he 
he stands up with Rotha and says, you know what? I'm, I'm Prince now. I'm, I'm Prince. And Rotha doesn't care. Uh, yeah, the, I, I'm trying to remember what the guy's what name What his is. name was. Because why it's important is because this guy had a great relationship with Loden. This is where it started. The exact relationship was Loden's considered Milwaukee far enough away to where they could pretty much tell the truth to each other right. when they spoke. Because nothing they say is going to harm their kingdom, which is the idea. And right. uh, that's where contention starts happening because when Rothler starts warring and, you know, Gracchus is in the middle of it, they create a lot of smokescreen for this guy uh, to pop in, which is Decker. Yeah. Well, in, in between there, in their battle, uh, there's two towns. They, they go on to talk about Kilborn Town and Genio Town. And those two towns are essentially... Harathoth and Gracchus's havens, right. essentially. They lord over those areas, and in their their battle, their war for supremacy, you know, one trying to one-up the other, one trying to kill off the other, uh, hiring assassins to go after each other, the two of them kill off the entire va- vampire population. They, they talk about how there was, a, there was a point in time where the one town basically loaded up and pointed its cannons at the other town, but didn't actually end up firing off those cannonballs. Like that's how close it got to like these towns actually going to civil war over these two vampires. And uh, I believe it was soon after that, that the Camarilla like really started to take shape in the United States. And, and they were essentially told Justicar comes to the area and basically lays down the law and says, this stops because you're endangering the masquerade. So this is where Iron, or Iron Wolf, this is where White Wolf irons home. Okay, we never really mentioned what a Justicar is, just sort of like the tier that yeah. they fit. And we kind of talk about there's a support structure, judge, jury, and executioner above the prince. We don't really get into that. Now they're giving it a defined image. You now have a guy who walks around, or girl, excuse me, this entity called Justicar who travels Camarilla territories or even budding territories, and they establish quo. Status quo, excuse me, <laughs> quo. They, stay, <laughs> they establish status quo. Yeah. And, and that's what's important about that because otherwise, if you're listening to this, if you listened so far, thought the prince was the highest in the land. So if these two guys are prince in their own territory, right. who cares what this Justicar dude says? Why you fear it is because remember, the Justicar is backed by the inner circle, which is either the, a member of the founders or it is someone the founders put in that position to represent the Camarilla. Right. The inner circle is essentially the great mystery of the Camarilla, those that really control the sect. And there's up until now and, and continuing on, you really don't know too much about them. They you, always, the listener, you'll know based on what we've told you, but they always give head nods or they're in someone's history where they're mentioned briefly or what's going on. Right. And you truly would have to own every one of these books right. to pick out the few times they do go into them. And one other thing to talk about here, um, it's an interesting side note that they mention in the history of this of this city. There is a magical dead zone at Marquette University where literally no magic whatsoever, whether it's uh, magi or mage as we know them, uh, whether it's their magics or it's the magics of the Tremere, they do not work. In fact, they can be detrimental when you try to use them. They can actually physically hurt you. And they will talk about in here, I don't want to ruin the story, so unless you want to tell some of the tale, but basically they tell you why 
this area is magically void. And it's very interesting. It goes all the way back to the original history of when the vampires first came to this area. It's kind of it, hard, too, because you have to explain a lot of aspects of werewolf. Right, exactly. To really get that right, down. And, right. And, and, and they, they will go into it for, the, for you, the storyteller, uh, in this book, because again, we want to—I want to emphasize, anyways—that this is a storyteller's guide. Right. This is, you know, if you're a player and you're thinking about running a story, great. But reading some of this stuff as just a player with no interest in running a story uh, can ruin a lot of interesting things for you. So I would—I would say, if you're just going to be a player, you know, go ahead and skip this storyteller. Though, keep on listening. Uh, and we goes on to chapter two, geography, and uh, uh, definitely a little bit different than Chicago. You know, we can tell that right away. There's no subway system. Um, there are airports, but you have to remember that a lot of the areas for getting in and out are under watch by werewolves. Right. They're, werewolves are basically, you know, keeping track of who comes in. And yeah, you can you can avoid them at sometimes, uh, but it's the, it's the space between because what they're referring to is right. if you're taking a car into Milwaukee, no one's going to care. Right. They're not going to catch you, whatever. They're, they, they're basically referring to, if you're thinking, you're just going to walk in on the street and just kind of Gumby mum, bumming up. Not really. I mean, they're trying to hammer home how dangerous it is just to be there. What what did you call it? What's it? What did you call it? You said, you said like, if you're going to, like, Mumby Bumby. Yeah, Mumby Bumby, whatever you do, just walk the road on it. That, but they, they like the previous book, uh, they'll show you uh, a great deal of maps. Uh, where certain areas are controlled by whom. Um, they show you where the Anubai, the elders, the uh, union, and the little different factions Blood and brothers. everything. Right. Yeah. Not so little. I mean, these guys, and we're about to I get into little, it. There's like, there right. only like four of them. For me, so. it's like the story. Yeah. it's the, you, That is the Milwaukee story is these four groups. And just to run it simply, you got... Mark Decker, who's the most powerful one, in my opinion, he runs the Anubai, which are a hardened group of gangrel, usually of his descent, that hunt and patrol for lupines. They look to find and kill him. That's it. And he, he hates him. Right. And that's sort of how he goes on. We'll get to him in, a, in later. Then you have Turk, who's part of the union. And Turk is a quote unquote, they list him in the book as a caitiff, but to be a caitiff or the clanless, you can't know your sire. He knows his sire. And we'll get more to that later. But they, they listen there anywhere because that's how the city sees them. And Turk is uh, the head of the union, but would be the youngest out of the out of the three factions warring. But because he's young, he controls a lot of sway knowing he came up when all the gangs were being formed. This is the uh, Black Peace Stone, the, the Rangers. Um, you had the folk. He's, they, they cite all these gangs coming up around Turk around the time he gets embraced, which becomes a huge benefit for him when you're thinking of gang warfare in a city um you then have the blood brothers and the blood brothers have a uh, an actual native yeah who was embraced in the area and again we'll get to his term because i forget his name escapes me for whatever reason uh, right now but we'll get back to that guy yeah. why i mention all these with distinction they have been they've been warring they've been warring for a freedom that no one understands why they don't have it like, when you read this book, you get the same impression I did, but you got to remember the theme, Nate already said. The theme's insanity. And when you read these guys, you're like, none of them, like, why Why the hell, what What do you want to be free of? Right. You can do whatever you want already. What's the big deal? Right. And if you can kill a bunch of lupines, you can fucking leave. If you don't want to be here. That's not the distinction. They, they never list what's going on with that. Right. 
Right. And they, and they go on to talk about uh, some of the distinct areas. One of the big ones that they talk about is West Downtown and uh, the the area dominated by Mecca, I, which I don't know if even if it still exists, but Mecca was the Milwaukee Expo, Milwaukee Exposition and Convention Center and Arena. And I remember uh, there used to be a bunch of like crosswalks that, you know, like like skywalks and stuff like that. I don't know if any of that stuff still exists, but as of 92, it does. And uh, for anybody that's been a gamer for a long time, like they used to have Gen Con in Milwaukee. Right. This is where they had it. So it's kind of cool, too, because like for a lot of people that had been gamers for a while, like you could go and see these actual places that were written about in this book, just like you could in Chicago. But Milwaukee being a little bit smaller of a city. It's a much more centralized. How cool experience. Milwaukee was! We went and visited a game during what they call WindyCon. Yeah, not WindyCon. That's wrong. Um, a midwinter. Midwinter. Can, can, a midwinter con, and it was hosted by these these Camarilla goons that we played with. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're goons, man. It's just a bunch of people. They're having fun. A lot of people have fun their way. We were there to have fun with them. And if you could put this in your head, in this downtown area with this convention center they were in. Uh, no, it was a big hotel. Yeah, the we, one were, we were in a hotel. The hotel that all I could tell, I forget the name, but all I could tell you is that the upstairs was a bar that rotated. Yeah. Slowly rotated the city of Little City. Yeah. We got to actually play Vampire throughout this hotel with that spinny and everything going on. Yeah, it was actually a really cool experience just, uh, you know, being in that hotel. I don't remember which one it is either, but uh, one, it's like a famous Right, you know, name or whatever. But, Just look uh, up Spinning Hotel in Milwaukee and you'll, you'll get it. Yes, yes. Do our legwork for us. Right, thank we're not you. going to look it up. But why it's cool <laughs> is because he mentioned this book, giving you a backdrop and being at Mecca would be cool. Mm-hmm. That was also cool. Like to confirm it, it was definitely an experience. Yeah. Uh, they go on to describe, and most like now, again, this was, this was 92. So if these any of these places were, were there, they're probably not at this point now. Um, but you could still go. Um, it was the Hyatt. I'm pretty sure is where we played the Hyatt Regency. Makes sense uh, because that actually is in this book. That is one of those areas in this book, and it's right across the street from Marquette University. So seems about right. Chronologically speaking, it sounds about right. Anyways, that's enough of our reaching back into the Wayback Machine. Uh, but they'll go on and they'll explain to you some additional areas. You'll notice that uh, unlike Chicago, this is a pretty small section because again. It's a much smaller city in comparison, so there's not as many places. Some decent maps to help you plan out where you want to populate your vampires, put your players, stuff like that. Pretty standard fare. Going on to Chapter 3, we get to, I think, the important part here, which the is meat. the kindred. Yeah, the meat, the actual characters in this book, here's, in this city. Here's why they're important. Without reading the previous chapters... If you just read every one of these guys, they paint what's going on in the city and what the city is in your head. They really do a good job of doing it. Because in this book, the way these characters are written, they tell you their own histories. As if you, the reader, are right there sitting wherever your favorite comfortable place is, listening to them and having a chat. It's unique because no other book is done that way. And I think they tested it that way, too. They want to give you a taste of, this is how we imagine this character. No, Because, you know, they're, they're knowing they're not dealing with actors, right? That's mm-hmm. the first thing I, right. I say to everybody is that, you know, live action role playing, you're acting. It's called improv acting. And people tend to get nervous about that. Right. Like, well, where's the script? Well, improv means you make it up as you go. Well, and even more so, too, with the, this being kind of a storyteller's book, you as a storyteller, you're going to have to play every role here. Single one, everyone. And, and 
being able to read a story from the voice of the character, the way that it's written, will definitely help you to have a better understanding of how to speak as that character. Right. At the end of the day, the players are not going to know what your internal monologue is. They're just going to know how you present it to them, and this is definitely going to help. More than just like basic role-playing tips, this is going to help a lot too. And it's kind of one of those things I, I, I sort of wish they had stuck with, but um, yeah, they didn't, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, first, of course, we get into the Bruja. We get into Edward Scott, the Black Prince. Yeah, Edward's a, a good character because uh, he's the first Joker, real Joker you hear made in a book where he's secretly an elder. He he makes it seem like, you know, he, he does get along with the Camarilla elders in particular because he is one, although he never claims to be one. He is one, so he knows the talk and the walk. The other one is that the Anarchs see him as hysterical. Because he'll do stuff like show up to Elysium in a pink robe and nothing else. To sit down and have a mighty city meeting where he's included behind closed doors. And they absolutely adore him for it. Um, the other thing is is that his name, the Black Prince, or the short version, Anarchs like calling him Prince, is even antagonistic in nature. It's because he was Sir Edward Scott a long, long time ago when he was embraced um, by Akawa, who is another Bruja in this book. And... The fact that he was made then, I find pretty interesting that he stuck around kind of this area. Well, he didn't stick. He comes over to this area and they run into each other. But the point is, um, that's why he's called the Black Prince or just Prince. All oh, right. his relevance? He is the father, in my opinion, to what all Anarch behavior should be. Because somewhere down the line, definitely amongst the LARP community, someone read this guy and thought to himself... That's the way to be. I'm an anarch. That's the dude I want to be. Right. Oh, the other thing, too, I forgot to mention, and uh, this is just a good time to kind of put this in here. It's a small side note. Uh, duels have been outlawed by the Camarilla. Duels were a big thing in the 1700s and 1600s. Uh, Milwaukee is one of the few places where it still goes on flying in the face of the Camarilla's edicts. Uh, and they will talk about that in some previous chapters. I just thought it was interesting to note that that still occurs in the city. It's true. I'm sorry. I had a bit of a mistake. Uh, Sir Lawrence is Sir Edward Scott, the Black Prince's sire. He is the sire. The Black Prince is the sire of Akawa, who we're talking about next. That's why I got a cross in my head. I apologize. Now, Akawa, do you know about? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head what the importance of Akawa is. Um, but according to the book here, it says... Uh, Akawa is an elder. <laughs> Akawa, he is called Akawa the Elder for right. the Bruja because he's your, the attitudes are night and day. His sire is very jovial, very yeah. opposite very of grim. what Akawa yeah. is. Akawa yeah. is a serious dude. And Akawa being who he is, he doesn't like his sire because um, the Black Prince is Akawa's sire. And, and the Black Prince is unaware that Akawa remembers who made him because it was not a happy i made you now you're my you're my blackened son for all time right it was like a thing he had did it when he came over and it was natives and he felt guilt and he makes a cow and he bolts and that's how it is and the cow is a, he's a pissed off guy because of it um considering what it did to his people it drove him away from him right yeah right exactly they, you know the people had to care for him their community or his tribe but once they realized what was up with them they they moved night and day, not just night. Right. And so the moment he went to sleep, they left. Right. And, you know, never to find them again. So this dude has rights to be a little pissed. Now, his relevance is that's why he also forms the Blood Brothers, which is a warring faction in the city. 
um, for every reason you can think of, most importantly is he wants revenge. One of the people he wants to get out of the way is the guy he can't take out. You know, at least not by himself. Right. You know, and looking for the right reason is everything. That's good old Kawa, man. And then uh, next up is Wrecker. And uh, we're, we're seeing right away that, again, in this book, they're emphasizing lines, you know, chilled, sire, grandsire. You know, we're seeing here how all, all the Bruja in here, which I'm sure by no means is this meant to be a definitive list of the vampires in the city to give you some freedom to make new ones. But they're showing you, like, all of these, these kindred descend from one another. And uh, Wrecker's no different. Uh, Wrecker was embraced by Akawa. Uh, he is, I, I guess, how would you describe him? I'd kind of describe him as a bit of a shithead. He's just kind of uh, has like a kind of a lackadaisical attitude, doesn't, um, you know, they, they talk about how he's wild and stupid by nature. He makes dumb decisions. He does reckless things. Wrecker's a guy who went through life believing one thing, no matter what the, pro if, a, if, if the ha problem solver is a hammer and that problem is a nail, he will drive that nail through the board as hard as he can. It's not ever have to deal right. with that problem again. Not necessarily the smart thing to do. And, and I'm highlighting that because he'll get the job done. He'll just get, the, get it done violently. And this is sort of what draws a coward to bring him in. Because at this point, he's a street tough. He's doing what he's got to do, but he is not afraid to bang and, and get down and get wild, as you say. Right. And that was needed for a cause. So this is highlighting that a vampire doesn't actually choose a childer uh, because, oh, she's beautiful. Or, oh, look, look at all the money he has. It can be very much that I want added muscle to my war. I feel like if we were to paint a picture of what the stereotype of a bruja would be, we would very much get Wrecker. You Wrecker would. And 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 I, in a sense that it's the classic like everybody thinks of a bruja. It's a dude with a biker jacket who rides a hog, who's you know who's a smart ass. You're gonna who, laugh when you know why that is though. Genghis from Chicago mm -hmm. by Night is a sire. No, Akawa is a sire. I mean, not a sire. Excuse me. Uh, who am I thinking? Of? Oh, sorry, I skipped. I skipped. <laughs> that's okay. I that's skipped. okay. You are thinking of Turk, sir. Yes, I was thinking of Turk. That's my fault. <laughs> no, that's okay. Th these books are are big. And there's a lot to review here. Wrecker is a thick-headed shit. Yeah. That's, that's correct. He's well, the violent guy. And, and again, uh, you know, moving on to the caves, we'll talk about Turk. Turk is the street warlord, uh, is what they call him. And if you remember when we looked at Chicago by Night, in the first edition of Chicago by Night, Genghis is a caitiff. Right. It's not until down the street, you know, in late 93 or whatever, when they revise Chicago by Night. Which is supposed to be after Blood Red Moon. Right. He's known to be uh, a bruja right and and classically uh that would i would make turk a bruja but in this book again he's considered a caitiff and uh um he is another like very <laughs> typical if if we were going to mention what a stereotypical bruja would be to me somebody here watched cyborg <laughs> because yeah, turk looks much. like the villain very the apocalyptic villain offender from cyborg yeah, I, I and he with made, Van Dam, by the way, the old be, 90s uh, version. He may be directly uh, made off of that character. Looking at his picture and just looking at his attitude, he he is uh, a diabolist. Right, that much they tell us. So he's someone who's not. To be I'd be with. a god, and he's the street <laughs> warlord. You know right, what I mean? Right. Which what was Fender? He was the, the street, street warlord. warlord. <laughs> right. He couldn't get out of it. Just I is like what the it was. Suffering. 
I like the misery. Exactly. But then they go on to just give you like a brief sort of generic description of Kadif. Just to emphasize that there are a ton in the city and they fill out the roles of the Anarch gangs, the Anubai, and they give you, you know, a brief description of like, you know, how they should be built. And they're built fairly well for Kadif. So, you know, just to give you an idea of how you want to fill out your ranks. Of course, it's designed for you to breathe a little bit of extra life into them yourself. To say how many or how little. And you got to remember in second ed, the Anarchs were at this point in the 90s, I guess I say not just second ed. They're roving about city to city. They're not really sticking around. You know, the Anarchs are the ones who invented taking, getting in with a coroner, 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 and somehow getting hold of a body bag, putting in a low level ditch. It's how you avoid sunlight. Right. You know, kind of figure that out. Uh, for a for a time that was actually also used in a movie if i'm correct blood and donuts um we'd have to i am not familiar with that movie yeah there's a there's a vampire in it who sleeps i want to say off the riverbed but it's in a body bag and i may have the movie wrong but it's one of the ones they list in the main van or chicago by night book mm-hmm. up next we have the gangrel very important clan especially considering their role in constantly battling against the uh the the lupines the werewolves and then our first and, and probably most important one is Mark Decker, who's the commander of the Anubai. Right. Mark Decker, his claim to fame to me more important in his history is that they quickly tie in why the Lupines are in the area. And they state that for some reason, Mark Decker's blood wife, if you will, yeah, was his mortal wife. Right. Was entirely uh, later. I thought he embraced her later on, too. That may be talk the about case, that. too. I could be fucking that up. Is that uh, she's because uh, I always from what I read, she was a vampire. Well, either way, that, yeah, it's his wife. They don't give her stats and then she dies, but she's the tie-in to the werewolves and they like her that's where the relationship is and when she's dead something horrible happens where they have a falling out and she dies in the process and decker forever hates these lupines yeah it is like it's his driving goal to rid the world of them and he uh he holds the the front line he's the he's the guy in charge um definitely an interesting character and one that will be discussed at great length in future books yeah um he, he plays a pivotal role throughout the course of the history of this game. So um, up next, we have Thomas Gerhern. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, uh, but another, I believe, another member of the Anubai. It is. Yep. Um, and again, they talk about uh, his sad little tale. Right. His his tale. Um, and, you know, we won't ruin it for you, but, uh, you know, these are all things that you can read for yourself. But, but it's kind of cookie cutter, too. I think more than any of all of them, this is pretty... Boy sees girl. Girl's yeah. name's Mary. Mary's cute, mm-hmm. likes dresses, and fits the time. And she's 15. He's 16. Boy has crush. Boy asks her out. Mary embraces him. Right. I, it didn't make any sense to me. She just said, hey, become one of us. And then, hey, now I'm fighting this war. And then, like, the next memory he has is of werewolves holding down little Mary, ripping her the fuck apart. And him fighting, trying to fight them. They leave weakened because Mark Decker shows up. Before they could kill him, Decker roves through the streets and make him sound like he's the street warlord. Because think about it, where this is happening is is like the back alley of someplace, and then all of a sudden Mark Decker riding in on hogs with the rest of the Anubi tear up the werewolves and skedaddle, you know, or the werewolves skedaddle to avoid that conflict, and they save him. And in the process of saving old Tom, he he jumps on board. That's yeah. that's the little thing. Uh, up next is Julia Calvin. The street assassin. Or her name was Wendy, not Mary, but same difference. Yeah. It's not pertinent to the character. So a burger saved her. (laughs) Saved her. Uh, Julia Calvin is, um, 
how do I describe this? If you kidnap someone and you you ch- chain them in the basement <laughs> and you uh, fed them your blood over the course of a week and then eventually killed them and embraced them, the resulting Stockholm syndrome would be Julia Calvin. Yes. She is deeply, madly in love with Mark Decker. And Mark Decker, the abusive boyfriend that he is, insists they never show it in public. Right. It is... Uh, it's a little disturbing. <laughs> to be fair, it didn't like she fucked her off the streets and there she was. Right. This woman learned to survive in the streets by, you know, not just drugs, but prostitution. And prostitution, she got into, I think, did one or two tricks. And the guy talking to her said, hey, you want to make money killing people? And she was like, uh, well, shit, I'll try it. And then later on, she liked killing. But in the downtime, right. she could make more money by having, by still yeah. being a prostitute. I mean, that's true. So, I mean, but it still. is, but like, who's this woman? <laughs> right. Like this one was already right. tougher than leather. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. Right. She's hard in as shit. And that's then for sure. And then someone's like, Hey, kill Mark Decker. <laughs> and this is, um, by the way, this is uh, an influence thing from Nostinus in the book. Right. The venture. He chooses to do it. And what occurs is she sneaks into his house, sits in there. And it's just, you know, she's like, I'm waiting for a time to get this dude because she's been trying to find Mark Decker and she's only seen him twice at night when he goes to lie down right. or when he goes to leave. He goes in the house and then she goes in and can't find him at all. Or he appears from the bushes. And, she, and literally it writes it as appears to her. He only found out how she did it when the last time she snuck into his house, he misted into physical form. So we're talking like Dracula, right? Turns yeah. into a cloud of smoke right. and appears out of it. That's the shit he did to her and then drug her to the basement, chained her, and did exactly what Nate was talking about. So when you combine that full story, no one sheds a tear that she was treated the way she was, honestly. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's still a little disturbing. But at the end of the day, that's the important Gangrel. And again, you know, you'll you'll only see that there's, what, three characters for the that's Gangrel? A- but... That is not meant to be definitive. Right. You know, the the numbers are much greater, but they're going to be much less important. They they don't have much importance to plot or story. For sure. Uh, moving on, we have the Malkavian. And they're, they're a joy in and of themselves. Uh, they are actually a, a substantially powerful clan in the city, oddly enough. Um, and it's because of a couple of uh, very weird and very insane and possibly quite troublesome so the most mild of why they're in there and you got jason who's called the voice the right. world's voice this is a person who was made because the malkavian elder ruined his life <laughs> his name's esau or jacob or slash esau because that's his derangement he's most split personality one of those two personalities that he was in at the time decided to and they, oh yeah they stated it. it was esau decided to ruin jason and make him do some choice things that got him committed in uh executed he was supposed to be put on death row he was supposed to die and they made him a vampire then and so ever since he's just been kind of taking orders well because he's used to it he died that way was traumatized and that is his sickness and the city sees it as a guy who's just nice you know he's just gotten through able to make it they don't get it got nothing to do with nice there's everything to where he needs someone to pilot him and funny enough they decide the first time in any of the books well, the Malkavians need more of a political stage, too. Here's that political stage. So in Milwaukee by Night, the, the, the elders use this dude as the speaker, the primogen for the Malkavians, and they don't know that he's the puppet version. Right. Because he's super helpful, willing to help out, but he, it's because he conforms. He's not, 
you know, he's not there to make a name for himself. He wants you to tell him why he's great. Right. And to help him through it. And they all just push every, all the problems they get, just go to him, which ends up being to the Malkavian's favor. Yeah. And then uh, we have Milo. Yeah. And I believe Milo is like the other half of that coin, right? Yes. He He's where, where one, one hand is sort of a puppet. The other one is fleeing from the other half of that fucking Malkavian elder. Well, n- no, it's even twisted than that, right? Inside of himself, mm-hmm. he believes there's this monster stalking him. Right. This monster's coming to rip out his heart and leave his limbs all everywhere, and he's going to get you too. Classic paranoid schizophrenic. What you're talking about is the fact that he got that way because of one of those two dudes. Right. Esau or Jacob is what happened. Right. So... But the, they're not coming to get him. He's just, he's just, it's in it's right, him. Right, right. Well, that's what I meant by like yeah. the delusional, yeah. uh, you know, believing that this elder who, when you you read Jacob, you'll learn that a lot of the issues that Milwaukee faces are directly because of this character. This character is a incredibly powerful elder Malkavian and like insane to the degree that it exudes from him. Right. Uh, they talk about it in his notes. You know, they say uh, uh, Milwaukee's craziness has been heightened by the presence of Jacob uh, with split personalities. Uh, he was uh, the personality of Isu when first embraced. Now the two personalities war constantly and they're not aware that they're the same person. They aren't. They do not know that they're the same entity. So how do they damage each other? You got they always know what the other is doing but they don't know who the other is. Right. So they treat it as the best nemesis fight ever. Right. And that's what goes on. But if you're a pawn in their game, you're the one that's going to end up damaged and hurt at the end of it. And so that's everybody they come across. Jacob, they even announced two of his powers. He has a unique level six presence power, whereas he talks to you, you just offer up your worst traits. Right. You know, you just pull up your deepest issues right to the surface, and this presence enhances that effect in you, and he can see it clearly. And then... He can ask you to do anything he wants to, either personality, because that's when his dominate kicks in, his mind control kicks in, and it's such a level and it's such unique power that he just convinces you that this is what you need to be doing. And he himself is trying to play whoever it is against the other. Right. They're, basically, he's acquiring pawns in a game that he's fighting against himself. Right. And when he tells you his background, they both are talking to you, trying to say how they're going to kill the other one. Right. So this is going on a very dark path, except he's probably the most power. He is the most powerful person in this book. Yeah. And think about how that is. You, His beast has to be immense. Oh. So when push comes to shove, how are you going to kill him? Well, and, and then we get another one of those uh, first edition zero conscience. Yep. You know, the, before they really started to iron out like. Well, when I looked at it, it's it's not a mistake. When you look at the people they're talking mm-hmm. about. It's almost a hammer home to the storyteller. We think this person is beyond redemption and right. saving. Right. Here's a zero. But you can write a good story where, okay, you may be able to reach him. Right. But this is what your players are dealing with. Right. And so that's that's before, and I think people bitched enough, and in later editions you saw, fine, here's right. just because, to be legal. Because what, what happens when you lose all of your humanity? You right. Know, like, we find that out later, but they don't ever even really dwell on that. It's just you have no humanity. Not to this point. They right, haven't right. dwelled no, on no. Later I mean, on, they the do. The first but... edition, I don't even know if they touch on it really in the second edition. Oh, they absolutely do. 
We'll find out when we read the book. Because they always talk about, you know, if when, when you hit zero money less, you're a monster, you're a beast, you have no control of your actions beyond right. feeding, blah, 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 blah. But yet they keep making these unique characters where clearly you see they're incredibly depraved, really monstrous. To segue to the next one. They're still there. Denosratu, Perovich, <laughs> distinctly zero, a big whopping goose egg on that humanity. Fat zero. And the reason being, Perovich is Sabat. Yes. Tells you about it. Right. Uh, his his prince was destroyed in front of him. The Sabbat diabolized that prince, ate his soul on the spot, and told him, you're with us or you're food. And he's been with them ever since. To him, they spoke the gospel and it became true. And why that's important in the city, you have all the factions already talked about. The big caitiff who were in there warring for freedom against Mark Decker's war, or I should say the other two perceived gang members' war over who knows. Right. And there's that in mix, and then and those are collectively the Anarchs. Then you have Decker, who the Camarilla acknowledges as a prince. Well, at he, this he's, point, he's not the prince. Well, they he, have always put him in charge. He's he's in charge of the Anubai, but there actually is a prince in this book who, at the end of the story, gets killed. My bad. No, no, definitely not your bad. It's just we know the, <laughs> we know the whole history, yeah. and we're trying to review a book that I, I parts, just read. Right, I just read through this. Uh, Five days ago. Right. So, you know, like trying to piece all that stuff together, we have to literally separate ourselves from the knowledge that we possess up to this point. Either way, the Camarilla is here. And right. what the Camarilla will be impressed with Mark Decker later on is that the Anubi somehow keep everything that happens off the masquerade radar. It, do, it doesn't hit. And if you read, when you read Mark Decker, it's because he does have a history with the police. It's one of the first things he did was get a lot of them on his side and he gives them a case or two. Mm-hmm. They tear off and do what they got to do. Uh, for him when asked right and so you have perovich here who's in the sabbat and looking at him and what he can do it paints a picture of the sabbat for the first time truly does who they're looking for what it does to them and the coolest thing in there is that every nosferatu in the city is a child of petrovich that he's trying to kill or recruit right and they're they're terrified of him and rightly so yeah because again they're not painting a really great picture of the uh moral fiber of the Nasratu clan uh, they did not do a very good job of it uh in chicago by night with the exception of one or two characters right it's kind of a similar tale you've got some really demented fucking Nasratu and a bunch who really are just trying to hide from their own clan exactly to stay the hell out of the way you know just salvage some form of existence so yeah hard to do the children here, I really feel, unless you want to go into town any one of them for being unique, no, no. They're, that's exactly what they're there for. Right. A little 3D flavor on help help us. Uh, moving on, we have the Tordor. You tell me if you got the feel I did. I feel every Tordor in here was a stereotype template out of the clan book of some degree. Well, they just didn't have the clan book yet. And they so were like, of course. Right. You know what I mean, yeah, though? No, like, absolutely. Like when you see later on, it's like, eh. Right. It you, paints. You, you have, yeah, you have, you know, your... Your DJ, you have the the beauty and death, you have the moral hedonist. Like, yeah, of course, these are definitely these are definitely uh, textbook Torador. We'll just right. Put it that way. To me, they were like fill it. Yeah, got yeah. nothing unique. Can't tell you why a Torador clan obsessed with beauty would be in Milwaukee. Not to say Milwaukee's not beautiful, doesn't have his art, but how long? That's not a place for existence. It's a mecca of ever changing art. No pun intended. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I don't I don't really see the appeal for Milwaukee for a Torador, but hey, gotta have them. Someone would love it. Yeah, 
guess you could own the safe house. That was always a good place. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool place. I mean, there's there's probably some cool clubs and stuff. There's a whole like row of yeah, night like clubs, a and street stuff. or two. Yeah, a couple of streets of of nightclubs that we walk past. That was pretty cool. Uh, anyways, moving along, <laughs> we have the Tremere. And the Tremere in this book, I think, are pretty badass, uh, especially like in comparison to other Tremere where, you know, yeah, they're they're definitely deep into the occult. But like these are definitely more rugged Tremere in comparison. I address that, that I see that they're I definitely like their flavor, their uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Um, there are others that are just I mean, they're all good. Yeah. But the Tremere advantage that they always write Tremere unique. You're never weakened for having a by night book with the Tremere mentioned. They always do it right. Right. We have Karna the Princess Witch, um, Victor the Assassin, all cool characters. Doctor Mortuous. I'm trying to avoid bad words. Okay, so like he's he's a jag off. I'm just gonna say that um, this character was written as he looks like an evil Merlin. Yeah. Okay, that's how they went with his appearance. He like looks that. like a guy that doesn't bathe a lot. Right, and what it is is that this dude is a similar character from what you will see by Diablery Great Britain. Right. In fact, it may be the same one, and I'm just remembering it that way, but I'm always positive. Similar names, similar rituals even given out of this book, you'll find again written for that exact Tremere who finds mm-hmm. and locates Tiamat. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, looks looks to steal her blood. I think it's only two books ahead, so. We'll get to it to hear what I'm talking about, but uh, I kind of don't want to cheat either. I just want right. to read it when it's time and see if we're right. But this dude is stupid powerful. Yeah. When it comes ridiculous. to this book, um, any Tremere, you're not going to care what their physical and social is. I don't care who you are. Not in tabletop. In tabletop, it's all about the mental stats. And he's got a six intelligence, five wits, and a perception of four. I mean, big bombs. Yeah. They're dropping for who this is. And if, if you know the game, it's all about dice pools, usually ranging one through ten. This guy averages eight. At least, yeah. For, for what he would do and what his purposes are. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, in print, we've only seen one other Tremere that I know of that's more powerful stat wise as far as what's on the printed page and that was in the chicago book so yeah that's that's a funny thing too like going back like we're only like two and a half city books into this game so really like this is giving us sort of the definitive like this is the tremere guy who gets to stay in a city is going to be the most powerful in that city whether power through mortal connections and and even still they got to have some stats there too or power through sheer righteous age yeah. and strength and usually it's the age and strength that you see rise at the top uh, also um at the end of the tremere you'll get some new rituals of course which is cool you get some new city specific rituals and uh that's a, that's something that will will typically be found in in most of the books the tremere and like their individual cities wherever they sort of dwell will create rituals that are adapted to their environment this uh you know, of course, this is the second time we've seen that because I think Chicago by Night did it as well. Moving on, we have now the Ventru, the other half of the coin to the Mark Decker uh, yin and yang. If Horatio Ballard in Chicago by Night is the rich robber baron of North America, if you need help, there will be blood. He was the grandfather to the main character played of and there will be blood because he was made a vampire and he's a rich son of a bitch. Right. That's definitely there. That that gangs in New York feel is Horatio Ballard. Who Gracchus Nastinus is if you took Caesar and let him have his line all the way down to Nero, and you took the idea of Nero and let Nero gain about three hundred pounds. 
just just bacchanalia after bacchanalia having a good old time you know being demented as well you would have an idea of what you're dealing with in this venture book strangely though remember we talked about the dichotomy where he's very much rich and controlling has a plan he's mastered the camera already because it's roman politics rule the day and he wrote the book he lived through that era he knows what to do with it he knows how to wield that type of control and that high level of social play and this character is built for that he is not built for the modern field remember rome lost and it became less important to be a member of the senate or what have you than it was to be a member of the common man because common man even in democracy rules by majority so you have the freedom to be who you are but the upper echelons are the ones you trust to guide you and you vote the man we know that but that's not the roman way the roman way always has been conquest and the soldiers who help do the conquesting later on become the senators who get voted in to represent. And Gracchus does not understand why that's not still going on. He believes the new Caesar is titleless prince and that the primogen would all be his senate and that he's able to rule from that, at that angle, that area. And so he knows he has to get rid of Hrothof. Got to remember, Hrothof is uh, all power. He's in the book, I'll give you an idea. He's listed with Amelia Seven. By comparison, the book only tells you what one through five is, one being the barest novice ever, and five meaning there are only 10 people in the world who can do what you do in any given skill, talent, or knowledge. Now, he has a seven. We'll just say that six makes him legendary. I mean, a six would be on caliber with um, Lancelot, you know, that that type of thing. Man Lancelot, listen, the next caliber is a master of every blade he picks up automatically because his fairy mother and all that other stuff. Um, but more importantly... Hrothof goes one step further and he's at a seven which means this guy has seen every type of battle you can possibly have if it involves a weapon in your hand Hrothof Marius embraced both Gracchus and embraced Hrothof but Hrothof is seventh generation and Gracchus is eighth generation and they're like they're still looking to be top dog right. that's the point and and uh if I if I be I believe that um they talk about that Hrothof killed Marius right in, in his story here. So moving on from the Ventru, we will go to the others. And we were having this conversation today, and I don't know if we're correct or not, but it seems to us we are that uh, Badir al-Badur, or as we call her, Badr al-Butter, right. is the first Asmite in print. Correct. Uh, we so cannot the find evidence night. of any others anywhere else. What's cool also about her is that Really, this is the first-gen draft of Fatima al-Fakati, who is the renowned, famous member later on uh, for the Asamite clan. Child of Thetmus, um, the man in the mountain, the militant hand uh, that they have there. And I don't want to give in too much when we go over the clan. You'll know the name again, believe me. I know me some Asamites. We'll get into that. <laughs> but for now, her important distinction is that in her background, it tells you she gives praise and prop uh, to and thanks to her great 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 grandmother, which is Fatima, who has shown the Asamite clan that it is not just men who can bring death and war on behalf of who they are and what they represent. That's really all she is in this book. She's textbook Asamite. They've mentioned the Asamites in the treaties they've had, how they were a problem, what went on with them. They've mentioned the Asamite clan and their purpose and their diabolistic nature and how they hunt down vampires in the night at, at Wanton. And now we know they've been placed under boot 
a curse has been levied upon them that only recently has been we're now starting that they may be able to take that off maybe as a reward you know and and remember back in the day in the 90s the big talk was the asmites going to be brought into the fold later on down the road they talk about how they'll be they'll be camarilla soon that's what goes on they do address it to a point but it all starts here right and all she is cut out is a female assassin from the middle east that's it because that's where alamin is that's where the ass of my home world is home base not home world but i really wish there was more to it than that it's like if you want someone dead right. she's the one they could do it right and you know she plainly states like they keep me well paid because she doesn't just work here she also works in chicago she yeah and she travels across the northwest back and forth from like san francisco and they talk about how her ties with the anarchs basically keeps her moving as well and they like highlight like someone actually does a marketing for quietus their clan discipline they've already listed it somewhat in depth before you know he had in a player book here's the powers one through eight or i think they went to 10 actually with the rest of them but here's them listed a little snippet about the clan now here's a character and they're like just in case you didn't get that book here's right, quietus right, right. here's quietus here's three levels of it so you know what they do and uh then that's the end the the of of the the meat and potatoes of the actual kindred in the city and it goes on to describe the politics. Uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I think this is important for the storyteller, you, the listener, to go through and read, to understand how all of these forces interact. And much like the Chicago by Night book, they have a very detailed selection of, uh, you know, how what, what group and how they interact with each other, what vampires relationship is with the other vampires. They talk about the Sabbat. Um, they talk about the lupines, uh, and then they talk about like the police departments, the fire departments, organized crime. They basically bottom line right, everything. The by night book when it gets to politics and even stories you would write, they give you the by night book like a like a TV dinner. Right. You know, you the action has already been done; it's just been frozen. You just need to nuke it, and it'll resume time to eat. You know what I mean? It's ready to be eaten. And in a simpler way. Look at these is that they're writing it from the sense that you're going to have a story of players who are going to be introduced to the action off the bat. Right. And here's that action and those powder kegs already placed, already free to run, added with whatever story you want to tell with these characters. Although, you have an incredible amount to do. I mean, you have the warring factions that always, it's a powder keg break of the masquerade around the corner. Like, if you're looking for an action game, this is the city to do it in. Right. If you were looking to run how a coterie would triage and keep the masquerade on behalf of a city, this is the city to do it in. If you wanted a taste of the lupines versus vampire action, either way, because I'm going to say this, this book I really feel is kind of dual. doesn't list the werewolves in this book per se, but the werewolves, when they do launch, it's very easy to write a pack in Milwaukee during this era trying to break down the city and do what they got to do oh definitely and as a storyteller you're well equipped to have not only the werewolf end because that's the game you're you're choosing to run but with this book you'll have all of the necessities for the werewolf antagonists right for the vampires that the werewolves are trying to destroy hunt down um after the political portion it gets to book two which is the basically the story that they intend you the storyteller to run with your players it's just an example it is it's essentially a module um and you know if this is again all the books all the city books uh, up until now chicago and this one 
the Colorado one that we talked about, all those little small books that, that they have, they all have a, a module in it. And, you know, personally, if you want to read through this and run it with your, your players, awesome. Totally awesome. Um, it's a good story. It's a psychological thriller. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for, for us, it's, it's great to read so you know where the story goes, but it's not super important to follow the nuts and bolts of this. And, and I think even White Wolf would agree. You know, read it, get inspiration, make it your own. I agree. That's the best use of this book. I honestly would stop. I never use the story. I never use, I, I read the politics to get an idea of how they see those characters clashing, but then I always put my own because honestly, politics is one of those things where, yeah, great, but I feel the chilled of Petrovich would make a better story about them fighting that leading to more turmoil in the city than you just having the Sabbat running around for Petrovich. And the book says, doesn't even say that, but you can see where they're leaning toward it. Like Petrovich and his pack are looking for these Nas. How does that go unnoticed? Well, because the Anarchs are warring in the streets. Well, the way the the book is written, you would think every night someone's dying, someone's getting clawed, someone's getting ripped apart, there's blood on the floor. Yeah, you could very easily write it that way, but we're sort of now just being underworld, right? The movie I'm referring to? You don't want to be that. You should pull this off with in-depth characters, uh, the mystery that it tries to land home, and that element of insanity. That the best laid, pa- best laid plans always go south. Why? Why is that occurring? And I would say I would use this book for an Archon Chronicle where you tell the players that they're here to investigate what the hell is going on. Why is Mark Decker having a hard time with his city and dealing with these lupines? What's causing the lupine issue? Maybe you send in some lupine killers and call the day right. and come to find out it's not the lupines. Right. And and also this could make uh, for a great Sabat Chronicle. Sure. You, you and uh, you, your players have a great idea for a pack. This is a chaotic enough city where a Sabbat pack could come in. What would they want to accomplish? Would they want to take over the city for the Sabbat, you know, etc.? And there's enough really creepy, really powerful stuff in this city that it can make for a great long-term chronicle, even playing outsiders, playing Sabbat characters. Agreed. Or alternative three, Anarchs. (laughs) You know, uh, there's plenty of room and plenty of places for them. And really, it's going to show you like you have freedom, but kind of you don't. And what what terrors come with that? All the freedom you can get is the freedom you can enforce. Anyone knows that. I just gave you a piece of wisdom right there. You're only as free as you're able to force the world to let you be. Right. So, yeah, it pretty much wraps it up. The book in its entirety. I would also recommend, please, 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 if you're going to run a Milwaukee Chronicle, use the Chicago Chronicles as a backdrop because it's the bigger city, any form of help, establishing control, cool issues that could be brought up. I mean, remember, Chicago by Night book has the wolf pack. Yeah. That's in it. Well, they will. And they will. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We're yeah. not there. Yeah, yeah. damn it. So we'll talk to you again about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll touch the- base back on this in a couple of episodes when we get back to Chicago by Night after they revise it. And um, wait to the second end. But again, um, at where this where this lies is that this is a city without a prince. At this current time, the book's release, the city does not have a prince. These stories, like all the others in White Wolf, are to be continued, and they will be touched on later on. So definitely check back with us, because we haven't heard the last from any of these characters, really. Um, Personally, I think uh, a very entertaining book. Um, I really enjoy it. I enjoy that it is 
is a contained city. It allows for a lot of creativity because we only have about like 20 vampires in here. So it gives you plenty of room to, to make more, be creative, and there's all kinds of hooks to use in your game. So definitely I would say this is a, this is a must-have, uh, regardless of what edition you're running. This is a must-have because even if you're running in a modern day, this gives you great building blocks to build off of yep. to adapt Milwaukee to uh, the modern times. If you're a collector, you collect. I, I guess you need this in the series. <laughs> if I were running Vampire today, I'd say if you have Chicago, you can skip Milwaukee. Um, it's cold to say that. I'm not, I'm not saying it because, ah, oh, this book sucks. I'm saying that because, honestly, this is something I feel was extra. Like they had an extra group of vampires from Chicago by night because there's a similar story even there. Chicago doesn't have a prince at a point. Loden rises to the top. They even recommend using that as a backdrop to him recently being there. Right. And, you know, but before Loden was Maxwell, before Maxwell was someone, they give all these options and opportunities. And I feel someone spitballed and said, well, we had a lot of great characters still. And they said, hey, Milwaukee's a great place to have them. Makes sense. But I've never been a fan of the book only because I feel that if I had players in the Chicago by night game and I tried to run Milwaukee by night, they'd get the same feel. And that's a that's a fair assessment. I, I think it has its its own at this point in time, it has its own unique flavor compared to the updated second edition of Chicago by night. I completely agree with you. I think once they revise Chicago by night and the stuff that happens there, it's uh, it it. De- definitely eclipses milwaukee but for it, if you're following us as we go and you're like hey i want to try this great alternative that's just my opinion um but you know it's, it's not a 10 you know definitely it's not a 10 book you know it's it's i would say a high seven it's it's a good book no doubt yeah so uh, that's it of course you know tell us what you think uh, if you have opinions on this book that differ from ours or you'd like to share some of your stories Definitely feel free to leave comments both on uh, our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, on our Facebook page, also Utility Muffin Labs. Um, you know, follow us on uh, YouTube or any other places where you can find Utility Muffin Labs, you'll find us. Um, share with your friends, subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening. We've gotten some some very supportive comments as of late. So we very much appreciate it. Definitely keep it coming. It makes it worthwhile doing when we know people are actually listening. Because otherwise, it's just like talking to ourselves, which and it's, is kind of weird. I'm willing to do that. <laughs> I'm willing to do that. Maybe you are already. Some generation somewhere <laughs> wants to know why we got all these goddamn books. Yeah, no, definitely. So, definitely, thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah. Until then. I'm Bob. And I am Nathan. Nathan.